Hey everybody out there in podcast land, thanks for your interest. We're Brand First, and more recently, we've been involved in doing an interview series for the Alternative Protein Show, where we talk to sponsors. But this is a little something different. We are bringing to you a podcast series in collaboration with Sprouted Ventures. They are a go-to-market strategy company that specializes in the plant-based category. We'll share insights, and today's episode is about our experiences with Expo West, where 90,000 people cram into a space the size of, well, really, really, really small state, and try to figure out what the heck is going on in the industry. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Today, we are here with Morgan Keim and Anthony Tabanji from Sprouted Ventures, they are a go-to-market strategy company that specializes in the plant-based space. Hi, guys. Hey, Diana. How are you? How's it going? Good. How's it going? Really, really good. Uh, finally, over the expo detox, so feeling feeling good and back into the rhythm of things. Good, good. Well, I was just wondering um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. So Sprout Adventures is a market strategy collective. Um, we are focused on building, launching, and accelerating growth for high potential emerging brands uh, that are doing plant-based meat or plant-based dairy applications. Uh, so really, we specialize in finding the quickest pathways to sales and to early fundraise opportunities and really helping brands to reach their potential enter markets, scale the revenues, and, and ultimately, um, you know, succeed in bringing mainstream consumers better plant-based meat and dairy options. So then tell us, how long have you guys been doing this? Yeah, we started um, actually in uh, mid-2017. Um, I had previously worked for a company, I guess we all know well, called Impossible Foods and helping them to really find their um, their route to market, their path to market, which is you know, looking at burger chains and, and, and bringing their plant-based meat um, across the country, positioning it right there in, in, a, in a tasty meaty burger for, you know, consumers that aren't even necessarily plant-based. And so we really saw an opportunity um, to understand the best practices of, you know, how, how these kind of things could succeed in the mainstream market and really work with, um, you know, a variety of different entrepreneurs that are, that are just starting out and getting them to their first few million dollars in sales um, and really trying to accelerate their impact on either animal welfare, sustainability, or, you know, global health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know you guys have that kind of mission behind your company, um, which I think is, is really cool. Yeah, that's actually what brought me into the picture. And uh, Morgan and I aligned very well on our impact goals. Uh, we have very different backgrounds. I come from uh, a very technical background, having been a mechanical engineer in a past life. And we <clears throat> were both trying to find how we're going to make a difference and, in the sustainability space. And I think the alignment uh, on our impact goals is kind of what brought these you know, two very different backgrounds together. Um, I think our skill sets complement each other very well. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a, a good goal to have is to have different uh, strengths that you can share, you know, in, in a consensus or also sometimes uh, in disagreement. But <laughs> are you usually, trying to say something? <laughs> <laughs> usually, though, that 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 is how you can uh, cull those gems that are available. It t- just takes a little bit of, of shifting and sifting. You know, on, on your end, Alex, I mean, 
Brand First has been, you know, in, in, in the market for some time and, and, you know, has quite the reputation, but this is, this is kind of a relatively new shift for, for your focus around working with plant-based companies. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, it, it, you know, centrally, so Diana um, and, and I kind of go way back in that we used to work in a completely different kind of job where we did uh, entertainment industry, let's just put it that way. And um, she has been working for Brand First for over a decade. And I joined uh, about uh, almost two years ago. Um, and um, so, you know, we're, we're doing similar jobs in that, you know, the whole idea here is to generate new ideas and new business. Um, mm -hmm. And in researching what was going on in, in food, you know, it really became apparent and clear and frankly exciting all of the new things that are going on in plant-based, um, as well as in cell ag, as well as just technology and food in general, and specifically the companies that are using that and that are making all kinds of breakthroughs that frankly are moving faster than the speed of anybody, especially consumer, to really truly comprehend. Um, so the messaging part and the part of designing for all of these breakthroughs is really fascinating. And we are looking to take that on because we're, we're, we're really diving as deeply as we can. Um, we got involved as you were involved in as well, the Alternative Protein mm -hmm. Show. And we've been doing a um, podcast series where we've been interviewing the sponsors and learning a tremendous amount mm -hmm. from it. Yes, it's been, it's been very interesting. And, um, you know, as you had mentioned, Morgan, you know, we, the company goes way back. It is a family-owned business, um, 33 years in business now, actually, and um, a women-owned company, in fact. So it's something where we used to specialize more in the confections industry. Um, our first client was m, &M Mars, and uh, that was many years ago. And since then, we've really um, shifted and evolved our focus to be more in the natural food space and more recently even um, in the alternative protein category, um, which is why um, we did the alter alternative protein, protein show, of course, and every year we go to Natural Products Expo. So, um, and I know we're here to talk about that today, so really looking forward yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where 90,000 people get together and jam. <laughs> where where 90,000 people get together and look for a meeting space that they can never find. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so, guys, we're really happy that we we met you guys at uh, Alt Protein Show, and we're we're very excited, I think, to to go ahead and segue into I think what what we feel is one of the biggest messages that um, you know it holds a lot of value for plant based brands trying to break into the space, um, which is revolving around mass market positioning. Um, you know, a lot of companies come into the space expecting um, that you know having some sort of alternative positioning might be uh, the way to resonate with consumers, and what we've learned. Um, just in this in this last uh, you know couple of years of experience here is mass market positioning and making making the products um, attractive to the mainstream consumer is really what's going to help us drive the sustainability initiative and, and make a difference here. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of synergistic uh, synergy between what you guys do uh, from the branding and, and design aspect and then what we're doing uh, kind of behind the scenes and the market strategy and developing um, you know the, the path to market for these companies to properly align with the mass market consumer. Um, 
are there kind of some high level, um, uh, you know, along that those guidelines? Are there kind of some high level uh, things that you guys have been experiencing from a design standpoint that align with that um, with that mantra? Well, I know you know we had talked about um, when we walked around the show. Um, some of the rebrands we had seen, um, a lot of the companies going more towards, as you said, a mainstream look, not so um, maybe like niche or crafted as, as it used to be. Um, I think Silk is a great one, for example. They, they Their rebrand was really nicely done. I think that um, it has a greater impact now at Shelf. Their logo is much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, they also color block. Um, so each product of theirs is a different color. So you get that color blocking on shelf and just the communication about the protein um, and the flavor is really first and foremost. So those are all things that you see with a lot of, um, you know, mass brands. And I think mm-hmm. that's where um, we're seeing the biggest shift in terms of. You know, Silk, Silk is an interesting one too, that we saw that they had done a different fortification um, on at least part of their line where they actually, uh, came in the market and said, hey, here's a blend. I think it was almond and cashew milk. But then they put in pea protein uh, to give it, I think, something like 10 grams of protein per serving, which is one of the areas where plant-based milk has been you know, falling flat, so to speak, from a uh, you know, nutritional or health perspective. Yet the way that they communicate that, it seems, on their packaging, it's not front and center. You know, This isn't uh, you know, ripple pea-based milk or anything like that. This is very much um, delicious milk that happens to be good for you and happens to be good for the planet. Um, and, and, and with that kind of clean packaging, right. I mean, it seems like uh, it just feels friendly. It just feels nice. Uh, yet there's a lot going on behind the scenes too. It does. Yeah, it it, is. And it's funny that you say that because Alex had brought up that point, that very point. Uh, and I think it's a good one. The fact that the P is is definitely played down in terms right. of the communication. Well, you you have the illustration of the cashew and the and the almond, and they look like they're you know really enjoying each other's company. <laughs> and then I look down and I see listed is pea, almond, and cashew. Where did the pea go? <laughs> it, it's not it's not depicted pictorially. However, I do understand that that's uh, you know the rationale there must be that. People aren't looking to drink pea milk. It just <laughs> doesn't sit, rest well, right? Right. So, you know, like you said, it's fortifying and it's actually making the protein higher, which is a smart move in an industry where a lot of consumers are looking for protein as an example of what is exemplary about mm-hmm. plant-based. Right. You know, I mean, equally too, in, in that industry from when I was quickly looking it up, there's $16 billion last year in uh, alternative milks. That's quite the, um, I mean, the growth has been huge and is the early achievement of those brands, you know, being next to milk. Mm -hmm. Um, Suddenly milk woke up, the dairy association woke up and found out that, whoa, what's soy milk? What's rice milk? Now there's cashew almond milk and there's coconut milk and there's all these things. That happened so quickly. The reaction has been what, guys? I mean, what have we seen as a reaction? Incredible growth. Mm-hmm. Growth and also a little bit of, you know, panic in the on the on the dairy industry side, right? Mm-hmm. Very much. Okay, you look at Miyoko's and the, the butter companies that are being sued right now from the dairy lobby for for calling it butter, right? There's is that fear 
that disruption that's currently in process. And even when it's just 13% market penetration for plant-based milk or uh, 1% right now for plant-based meat, there's this unease with the, you know, the traditional incumbents in the space. And it seems like they're really putting up walls and defenses and realizing, you know, this isn't really a fad anymore. This is something that's here to stay. What are we going to do about it? Do we beat them or join them? Right. And in some corporations have joined them and some corporations have decided to sue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the, the biggest hope, at least, you know, from, from my perspective is that if I go into a grocery store and I'm going to go shopping, that I am able to find the, the proteins that I want in a, in a similar place. This is something, though, that has not really happened for alternative meats, what, what have you. You know, uh, Beyond Burger, as an example, has really been relegated to a frozen section where it shares space with um, turkey burgers and frozen burgers. And it rests on the shelf by just sort of just being perched there, kind of falling down a bit um, because a lot of people are just buying it. So there's not a shelf made for it. There's a lot of things that, you know, one would expect um, to happen because it's a disruption. But I think it's clear that now that we're at 2.0, we need to start to move, you know, the needle here in terms of how those proteins are sharing space. And I would hope that they can work it out. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and I think we're just in the cusp of that shift for poor plant-based meat. I mean, uh, we're, we're just starting to see some of the merchandising strategies shift to actually putting, you know, beyond right there next to the actual meat in the grocery, or maybe we'll see this uh, with, with Impossible Foods uh, push into retail this year. Um, interesting stat for you guys to think about that plays into this. Uh, I read last week that 57, or I think it's 58% of consumers that are drinking non-dairy milk aren't consciously aware that they're doing it, which shows that this is no longer just a product made for people of vegan and vegetarian diets. And while the companies that are that are building these plant-based meat and dairy products ultimately may have strong impact initiatives around health or welfare for animals or sustainability, ultimately the market opportunity is for people that are just saying, hey, this is delicious. Hey, this acts like milk. Uh, why wouldn't I have this? It's just better. And so that's, that seems to be, I mean, for, for what we saw, the main kind of trend for what is driving this growth and and we really just are kind of looking for this to continue, um, you know, but I'm really interested to hear how you guys think this is ultimately knowing that this is kind of the, the, the guiding light for growth. Um, what's going to be in the future for brands that are looking to, you know, continue pushing into mainstream channels, continue to align the categories for this, you know, this flexitarian or plant forward consumer, or even just kind of mainstream consumers who don't know that they're eating or drinking this stuff. And maybe what does that look like from a, you know, a branding strategy or packaging or promotional type of appeal? Well, just one comment on Silk, because I did, you know, quickly buy um, their oat milk, not realizing actually that it was a a Silk product, um, because that's not uh, primary to their oat milk uh, packaging. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really found interesting is the oat, yeah, they have, you know, the graphic on the bottom that says, transform your morning Joe, go-to glass, tasty spoonful. So they're mm-hmm. already infiltrating the concept of usage 
in a very smart and intuitive way, right? They do this with their coconut milk as well. And strangely enough, when I looked at their coconut milk, it seems like they're really gearing that towards um, cooking, not so much drinking, which I, I didn't understand, but... Well, I think some of what we've seen and at the show too is that um, a lot of these brands are moving from the ready-made products to almost like a culinary ingredient, you know, kind of like what Beyond uh, did with the, the burger meat, you know, um, now you can use it and cook with it. And they had the meatballs that they showcased and tasted at the show, which were amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's this shift towards really knowing how consumers are wanting to use these products mm-hmm. and being more attuned to that. Yeah, I think that seamless integration is, is a crucial piece of the picture here. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of brands also coming up with different barista lines, you know, for coffee, specific coffee applications. And I think the key here is, is for brands to realize the actual market opportunity here is to allow consumers to integrate these products seamlessly into their day-to-day lives. Uh, you never want a consumer to grab a product off the shelf and wonder, okay, well, how do I use this, right? You want it to be just kind of an innate understanding um, and I think that comes a lot with with that mass market positioning and just making it something that that everyone just knows exactly what it is and they just grab it. There's, there's an additional point here too, and in, in you know when you're looking at serving you know mainstream consumer tastes, a lot of the focus to date has been on the retail channel, right? These are brands that we have in our refrigerator in our household. But if you look at how your average American will spend their food dollar, about fifty percent of it is eating out. There's this unprecedented opportunity right now in food service, yet it doesn't seem that the you know the category positioning and growth has kept up with that as much. Um, and so even you know let's say Fora for example is a great brand that's that's making a, a you know an absolutely delicious plant based butter. Uh, yet again they'll be targeting uh, you know baking applications and, and food service in addition to you know maybe launching a retail line. So having that kind of push. And really seeing that you know, food service is a huge opportunity, a huge growth driver. And yet you can influence just a few people there um, to open some some big floodgates of, of growth for, for businesses that are making plant-based applications. Uh, right now, I think we're just in this untapped place with that where we have a couple of years maybe of, 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 of running to, to meet the demand here. And we've seen the 23% year-over-year growth in, in plant-based yet it just hasn't kept up in food service. Um, so really for anybody who's looking at, you know, how do they position their brands uh, you know, to scale and grow in a market that's becoming increasingly commodified, uh, food service right now still seems to represent unparalleled value in, in what we're seeing. It's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think though, another component of this too is that in food service, you know, since people are going out to eat, they're expecting to, you know, order as how the menu would explain a dish, right? So if it's explaining that something is plant-based and then it's also speaking of a brand of that protein and what it is, in other words, the opportunity is there for kind of a seamless integration into replacing proteins, but not necessarily for verbalizing, vocalizing, visualizing those things, um, and it's a, an important component to consumer education, which is why when you're talking about brand to direct to consumer, you know, or to a store consumer buying a brand, that is where you're able to actually have the apparatus to tell the story. Now, that's not to say that, of course, people keep educated and up to date on the Internet. 
But still, even in a restaurant, you don't necessarily look up the meal you just ate, right? I mean, this is a place that I feel could become more sophisticated Mm. and proactive. 100% agree. Yeah, Alex, to speak to that point about the menu, uh, you know, menus when people are going out to eat, um, you know, what we've experienced so far is, again, uh, speaking along the lines of that seamless integration, um, we've seen a lot of food service establishments moving away from the vegan vegetarian section on their menu. Uh, and that's something that we've encouraged with, with all of our clients. And we, and we try to, you know, voice that as a best practice here when entering the food service space, especially as a branded item. Um, we're really, we're really you know, recommending that brands just try to integrate seamlessly with, you know, food service establishments, existing menus. Um, because the second that something's again, sectioned off as an alternative or, you know, only for a specific type of person, uh, you know, very, very simple language choice can, can make that the, uh, uh, can make that the point. So making sure that it just looks as a, as a delicious, looks like a delicious menu item on the menu, uh, just like anything else would is, is kind of that key point. Um, as it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I have a few restaurants out here in Colorado and, um, we've, we've been testing quite a few, uh, you know, different menu layouts. And, and so far the, the data has supported that, um, just from my own personal experience at my restaurants, it's, it's, it shows that if you just describe it as, uh, you know, delicious and it's exactly what it is, not, you know, vegan or vegetarian. And, and we're not saying you, you, you can't necessarily market as being such. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty important shift in how you're branding it on, on the menu to have it as just a delicious menu item and just happens to be vegan, happens to be vegetarian. And I think, um, you know, one of the main takeaways from that is that that accidental positioning that happens to be dot, 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 it has been <clears throat> working really well for brands trying to enter the space. Right. And that, I mean, that's also in, in, in sheer volume of being able to sell to um, food service, but you know, we move these things into what's the most important aspect about food, whatever food it is. It's is it delicious? Does it taste good? Right. And so then we find out what 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 it's made out of, right? So you're not having an opportunity necessarily to brand those things. It would kind of go up the food chain literally. If you have a Taco Bell, I could imagine Taco Bell saying, Hey, this is um this kind of protein, right? And maybe even having a brand to it. The only instance I've seen when it comes to sit down casual or higher end restaurants is impossible branding themselves on the menu. It's an opportunity that other plant-based need to take advantage of. I think there's a lot of barriers to entry that exist in getting that branded menu item. But I think, again, the main takeaway here is when you're entering the food service space, uh, really just try to integrate, again, seamless integration, try to, to integrate as as you, as best you can with the existing menu. Um, and try to you know stray away from the alternative positioning and a different section of the menu and just try to be a delicious menu item. So, um, you know, regardless if you're able to get that branded uh, presence on the menu or not, I think the main takeaway here is, is just, just be delicious. Taste and texture uh, consistently are coming up as the most important to consumers, uh, especially with that flexitarian, as, as Morgan had mentioned that term, uh, the flexitarian market, uh, who are people that are choosing to have at least one plant-based meal a week. And, and I think that's that's really the market opportunity here. So. I agree, Anthony. And, and really, I mean, when you are looking at that, trying to be a branded menu option versus just being kind of commodity, plant-based meat or dairy, it really does come down to unparalleled brand value. And a lot of that can be done with, with just, you know, that whole package of your marketing mix. 
How are you communicating and positioning to your consumers? Um, how pristine is your brand image? How much do you resonate with not just the extrinsic need of a consumer, which is, hey, I, I, you know, I want a plant-based milk, but the intrinsic benefit that they'll be receiving. I want to feel like I'm part of a group of people that care. I want to feel like I'm living with my values. That's why consumers buy, right? So you see this right now. Um, Sweet Green is a, is a good example that has, uh, or I guess in the fall menu, had Dan, Chef Dan Barber's Row 7 uh, Seed Company Squash. It's uh, sort of a, an interesting, very, very innovative company um, that's you know experimenting with chef-inspired um, plant breeding, where I, I want to say they put a, a kabuki squash with a, a butternut and created this, this kind of new flavor and, and taste profile that then they sold to Sweetgreen. That kind of value is so different for consumers. They, they don't even expect it. And they might order the squash and say, hey, you know, I love that. I don't know, you know, what that brand is, Rose 7, I haven't even heard of it. But they'll taste it and maybe say, wow, this is, this is incredible. Well, this is interesting. And they'll look into it and go, oh, wow, I didn't even know people were doing this. And it sort of has that surprise and delight factor that, you know, us marketers and brand builders get giddy over, of course. Um, yeah. That sort of feeling is what can, you know, ultimately inspire you to be a branded menu item. If you can inspire that with your customer's customer, which is the food service chain that is ultimately buying from your distributor or from your brokers, or if you can do that within the retail channel, you know, it really kind of helps to uh, enliven your brand so that you get better prominence and, and people can start to actually see you right there on that menu and, and, and you know, demand um, that brand as, as their option. That is such a good point. You, yeah, you know, you're right. Row 7 is um, a really interesting company and we had the uh, pleasure of speaking with them um, at a meetup in Brooklyn, uh, not a, a bunch of weeks ago before Expo West. And they, they really do wow you because there's such intelligence in the concept and execution. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that they have paired themselves with a lot of culinary institutions and chefs, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And that's what it takes to, you know, to ultimately bridge the gap, right? When we were looking at the same things with Impossible, we said, how do we align with chefs? Uh, Tal Ronan, who is one of the co-founders of Kite Hill, and um, Crossroads here in LA was a critical figure in, in the early development. And he carries such a weight in the plant-based space as being a chef that's innovative and different. Um, and then we were able to kind of have this, this onslaught of new chefs, innovative people saying, hey, we stand behind this. You know, we, we, we really support what you're doing. And also this is tasting great and has the texture of beef. How can that kind of positioning uh, you know, in, in as affordable way as possible, essentially for, for, you know, a startup plant-based meat or dairy brand, uh, ultimately be, be achieved to bring that value to the downstream consumers and have them really see from the social proof of, you know, a true influencer, a chef in the space, or, you know, someone that they trust backing that company. Uh, you know, that's, that's right. what creates that brand value. That added value too. Like you were, we were talking about here, um, how important it is to really differentiate yourself from those value adds, right? So however that may be done, but 
and it's done differently for different brands, but I think really knowing what that consumer is looking for, what your consumer is looking for, and resonating with them on different levels is really key to growing your brand. Absolutely. Now, I want to ask you guys really quick, um, just because, you know, we're, we're fresh off of Expo here and, and, you know, we're still kind of excited about the show. Were there any other standouts for, from, from your perspective on brands that really kind of excited you in the space or different trends that you saw, uh, you know, within the design aesthetic and packaging or the promotions that were there? What, what kind of jumped out at you? Sure, sure. Well, you had actually just mentioned Kite Hill, and that was one I wanted to talk about briefly because they just um, underwent a rebrand, and I think they did a really nice job. They have a very clean, very cohesive Mm. brand um, that's built off of the the geometric shapes of the kite, and um, and you know, it's just very. It seems to me like it's very flexible, very um, intuitive, and really. Clear, like effectively differentiates between their products and flavors. And we actually tried their cream cheese and it was so good. Just like this light and whipped <laughs> deliciousness. <laughs> um, but I think they're one that we're seeing and, and, and going to be doing some great things. Yeah. I think another thing that we saw, um, we noticed that the, um, the a muted rainbow, a pastel rainbow seemed to really rule um, with a lot of as a color scheme that companies were using to differentiate their products or to sort of modulate between one, you know, product's uh, effectiveness or health uh, benefits to another. And, you know, we, I, I mean, it's interesting because when you see a color scheme or a design theme, what have you, um, sort of proliferate within Expo West, I wonder to myself, well, I mean, are you guys standing out or are you guys blending in? And that's you know problematic when something becomes popular. Obviously, when you take that and you bring it into the shelves, you know, in the marketplace, it's not going to find all of the other ones that are like it. But there is a concern about that. To speak to that uh, to that point, Alex, uh, about differentiation, um, you know, that's that's kind of. Uh, uh, it's it's the double-edged sword, right? Is is become a seamless integration piece of the market, uh, but also differentiate yourself. And um, you know, we go through this a lot with our clients, and, and really trying to identify, um, you know, our, our clients' superpowers, right? You know, how can they really differentiate themselves in the market, but still be attractive to a mainstream consumer and capture the most market opportunity and really make a difference? Um, so you know, so to speak to that differentiation right. point, I think um, it's key to really take. Take some time and understand what your competitive, your true competitive advantage is, uh, because you know any brand can come mix things up in just different formulation. But you know how are you setting yourself apart? And and you know Diana, as, as you mentioned with the um, you know with the with the value add stuff, just really trying to understand your true competitive advantage in the market, and then communicating that as clearly as possible. Um, but again, also aligning with the mass market. So a lot of different you know facets to this story here. Um, but, but I think making sure that you're you're truly differentiated is going to make sure you have the longest term sustainable business model, um, because like we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> a lot of companies coming into the space right now. Oh yeah, and and to your point too, I think there's something to be said for finding that differentiation, and therefore, um, just in terms of even like pricing and figuring out your pricing strategy, um, how does differentiating yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, 
like allow for a greater price point at retail? Um, and and how is that going to be accepted mm-hmm. by the consumer? Yeah, that's so true. I, I mean, it, yeah, the premium positioning is exactly, and it can be, you know, this can be this can be a people people come to us and say, you know, I have to lower my prices. Ultimately, that's what's going to drive my sales, right? Right. The answer is always it depends. Being the lowest cost option does not necessarily mean you're going to be bringing the register every time because of that. A lot of consumers these days are looking for value in, in, in premium brands and actually won't even purchase the, you know, the, the cheaper options because they perceive, hey, this is food. This goes in my body. body. I want the best possible thing. I mean, I don't know how you can walk into an Erewhon and leave there with more than, uh, you know, with four items and have it be anything less than $30 these days. Um, but but there's, a, there's a new market for this kind of product. It's something that's premium and, and positioned that way. I mean, Impossible and Beyond have done this in the Burger Channel, but really, you know, in just about everything. Um, I think there's one called Treeline uh, that makes a, a, a you know a, a, an almond-based cheese or a nut-based cheese, um, and and these little you know these little I think three or four ounce uh, you know wheels are eleven ninety nine in retail. Right. That's compared to cheese, you know, extremely expensive. Yet in reality. It's not about that. It's mm. about the brand perception that that's worth every penny to a consumer who wants to pay that and who perceives that they'll be re- receiving, you know, major incremental value as opposed to going through the aisle and picking up a, you know, a regular dairy Sargento cheese or maybe a, you know, a Daya Foods, you know, shredded type of thing there. So, you know, it, it, it very much plays into how the brand is positioned and ultimately what kind of consumers is, you know, is going to be the, the main target, um, you know, for how that message is, is received. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one thing that Diana mentioned, which is the culinary aspect of this, because that really drives a whole other point of view and desire to try to the, the best and, you know, most highly perceived products to cook with, to spread on your bread or crackers as well. And it really is, it's, it's so important for those brands to keep in mind that while they're spending a tremendous amount of research and development and, you know, love and heart in doing what they do to put it out in the marketplace in um, the best possible mm-hmm. light to really, really spend the time to make it as good as it tastes. Right, right. Well, I mean, I could just think of one right now that we tried at the, at the show, which was uh, faba butter from Fora, they had a croissant there that we tried and it was just like one of the best croissants I've had. <laughs> and it was made with, um, you know, a plant-based butter. And yeah. it was, it was like, I was floored. And it wasn't even warmed. It was cold, <laughs> but let me tell you, it was a really good croissant. I mean, it had that, that je ne sais quoi that butter gives it. Right. But it was from, the liquid that you cook chickpeas with coconut oil and seasonings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And that seems to be another thing that we really picked up on from a number of brands in the show, actually, is the sort of leaning into these, these creative ingredients, these different ingredients that would, you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, for, like you said, Alex, with the aquafaba or uh, one that we really love is, is lava, uh, which creates mm-hmm. a yogurt. And they're using these, you know, incredibly exotic and different ingredients uh, like pili nuts, which are, I think they originate out of the Philippines. 
um, and coconut, cassava flower, and uh, young plantains to bring these really kind of vibrant and different uh, flavor and, and texture profiles to uh, plant-based yogurt that simply differentiates it, but also makes it just not even comparable to anything. Um, and, and as a result, I think they're able to achieve, you know, also kind of a premium positioning around, uh, around that brand. Right. Yeah. That, it's a very, very interesting brand. Um, I actually have a peely nut. <laughs> um, I, I was talking to somebody at, um, at a show that was manning the booth. And they, they gave me one and I, I have it. And I look at it every now and again, cause these things are really, <laughs> they're really cool. What, what does it look yeah. like, Alex? I don't think I've ever seen one. So it looks like a smaller version of a cacao pod, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's very hard. It's very solid. So it like really feels like it's made out of the tree wood. So I'm, I'm assuming now, is it a tree nut? I don't know. <laughs> I know that it grows in volcanic soil. So it's front and center on your desk as a paperweight right now. I know. (laughs) It's actually in a drawer at home in a printer's drawer, but that's okay. (laughs) That's a very comfortable place. (laughs) I don't want my desk here does not need anything else. Very true. I also came across something. So, you know, we were pleasantly surprised. I had looked at this brand um, by Outstanding Foods called Pig Out. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really it's really interesting because this is like, I'm, I'm a little confused because the choices that they made, first of all, in order, by the way, it's very delicious, crunchy. Um, it's very satisfying product. It's like a chip. It's a chip. Yeah. But the, they put the information on their bag saying that they have 73% less saturated fat and 68% less sodium than cooked pork bacon. Now, but okay, guess but guess- cooked pork bacon, I mean, it, I wasn't under the impression that I was eating cooked pork bacon because that's like a whole other thing, you know? It, I mean, so, so there's that. And guess what? They're made out of mushrooms, a king oyster mushroom. Mm. And they don't even say that on the bag. That's interesting. You know, it, it, it sounds like it is the furthest along the spectrum of let's position for, you know, maybe a mainstream audience that is not a vegan or a vegetarian. Um, and, right. and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, right? Because this is this is sort of unparalleled. This is uncharted. This is unprecedented positioning to say, ah, we're kind of going to discard the entire vegan thing. We're not even going to really mention it. I mean, maybe it's on the, you know, the bottom of the bag, you should go V letter. Um, but ultimately, we're going to say this is, you know, pigless bacon, and, you know, c- c- come and get it. Um, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, to mass that. market, like you, mass market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the question will be, I think, the, the you know, the price point here. Is is there enough value from a mainstream consumer that's, you know, maybe less concerned about uh, cutting out bacon and is just kind of grabbing different things because they look interesting and good? Um, you know, is, is, is some of that market force uh, going to coincide with, what I would assume to be maybe a little bit higher price point for these mushrooms. It is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean that, so there's, you know, you have the brands also um, like pans, mushroom jerky. Um, they, you know, are very, very much about the fact that they're mushroom jerky, they're jerky made from mushrooms. And that resonates with a different crowd. 
but I don't think it also has, I don't think it has the same mainstream appeal as what Outstanding Foods has done. Um, but like you said, pri- price point will really, because this is a snack food, and price point is going to be the key to their entry in the market as to whether or not it catches on the way that they want it to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially if you're not really touting that main benefit, in my mind, of what it's made of, then, then, then what is your point of differentiation? essentially, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm curious, a very uh, a specific, very, very specific question um, that that I wanted to ask you guys. Um, as far as the physical brand presence with, with logos and with, with the design, are there certain color palettes or shapes or, you know, what like really specific design aspects that you guys have been uh, experiencing doing well with this kind of mass market positioning? Are there themes that you're pulling from, you know, parallel products? So are there specifics right now that are really standing out that align with this, um, with this fundamental, uh, uh, you know, mantra at this point? Hmm. It's a really good question. And I feel as though it, it's the combination of um, looking at being more modern rather than natural. Um, And, uh, more more colorful and dynamic rather than muted and kind of you know clean um but again that that definitely depends upon of course the brand and the product and what you're working on but i feel that there is somewhat of that shift that we see happening right now i'm just trying to think of a context here um health food stores um used to have a very similar, not very energetic, um, sort of lost in lost in the past um, aspect to them. And as these brands have grown up and populated their shelves, they've changed a lot. And then, I mean, look at what happens with Whole Foods. Whole Foods really championing that kind of brand and really coming to um, stand in for the vibrancy and the of the vibrancy of the brand, right? I also think that the the consumer has changed and the, the age of the consumer, I mean, millennials, as we know, huge consumer group right now, even Gen Z catching on, right? Um, so there's a usefulness that seems to be um, coming out with a lot of these brands, um, energy. Um, so I think it's something where and again, you can get into this rainbow effect that we've already talked about. Um, so there's a watch out there. But it seems that um, rather than being this like white package on shelves, now everyone's kind of trying to be that really colorful, dynamic package on shelves. That's interesting. Yeah, that I, I would say that very much resonates with a lot of what we saw, too, in terms of having kind of even modernized packaging structures, like, for instance, what Lightlife and Beyond have done with their uh, their new sausage lines, right? It looks kind of like what you'd expect if you're buying, you know, bratwurst, but then it has just kind of a pop feel, lots of lots of color. I mean, Lightlife kind of unveiled this at Expo, um, but it's this, you know, this this blast of red that will catch your eye. It's you know, it's, it's psychology. It's kind of a deep. It almost makes you feel primal, maybe. Uh, and yet the, then they have this big swipe across that, you know, it's either like a teal or a blue and it just sort of pops right off. Right, right. 
um, you know, and, and they're kind of late later to this game, right? They're not the first mover uh, to have, you know, to have plant-based sausages. Yet they've also had the ability to see how is Beyond responded, how have the other things happened, uh, you know, what seems to be working in the marketplace. And now it's just, um, you know, our, our, our color palette, our, our, our dress, our trade dress and everything to, uh, you know, to the, to the things that we think will be leading that, that mainstream consumer's decision-making opportunity. I think it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, late life, yeah, that, they kind of caught us by surprise, I got to say. Um, but yeah, that red is just that color that makes like an appetizing color. It makes you hungry. Um, and we tried their burgers there actually, and they were really good. Yeah. I, I was surprised. <laughs> I, I, there's also a big difference because I have been buying light life for, for quite a while because they really have a great position in the grocery store for their tempeh, mm. but their tempeh looks nothing like it has very, very little reference to what they're doing now which is, I think, waking up to the, the possibilities in the marketplace of having a product that, you know, product line that's geared more towards everyone than just your person looking for tempeh in the produce aisle. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious too, I mean, taking, you know, kind of the best practices of, of what we've all kind of seen, you know, at Expo and following the space, but also leading it and knowing that, you know, this trend is going to do nothing but continue uh, you know, really the, the mainstream and the flexitarian consumers are a big opportunity. Let's say you were tasked with starting a brand in this space. You know, maybe you had to start a, a plant-based dairy brand or something like that. You see, you know, this competition, lots of different groups coming into the space, lots of, uh, you know, every, just about every category starting to either heat up or, or actually even enter maturity like with, uh, with plant-based milk what would be the key focuses that you would have or, or even specific insights, uh, you know, that you might bring into, into starting that brand? How, how would you kind of look at positioning um, either from, you know, a branding perspective or, or just an overall strategy? So I think that there's some other elements that we would need to know. So, so you're saying, in other words, a brand wants to hire us to do the branding for them. Yes. Yeah, it could either be, you know, a rebrand, let's get more relevant for the flexitarian consumer, or simply, hey, we, we're, we're brand new, we're just starting out. And, you know, how do we, how, what does our packaging look like? What is our, you know, how, how does our brand presence come together? Yeah, I, I just want to say the first thing, the first line of interception is to understand the product, right? To, to taste it, to look at it to think about it and then to look at other products that are like it and then find what those things are that are different, the strengths and possibly weaknesses as well. And then go into the phase of designing a strategy for behind the design of it. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, some of the things we, we really try to bring forth in the messaging is clearly um, a brand story is so important, right? Like, mm-hmm. How, wh- where did you come from? Why did you decide to do this? Um, I think any kind of mission behind the brand is, is super important. Understanding you know, why they are doing what they're doing is first and foremost something that we try to hone in on and understand and then figure out how to bring that forth. And also just um, you know, transparency has always been 
a big thing, but I think it's it's super important for consumers to be able to understand where are the ingredients coming from? What am I putting into my body? How is this better for me? So between those things, I think that the consumer starts to connect with the brand, you know, on a level that is is a little bit more elevated than just uh, connecting with it on a, on a satiation level or something like that. That higher level that we always strive for when we're trying to tell a brand story and, and get them out there. So that's that's basically where we would start for sure. Now let me let me let me ask a question on a specific point you just made, Diana. That that's that's enlightening, you know, on, on in terms of how do we focus around the product and develop the story, the you know, the why that kind of takes care of the rest. To your point on transparency, it's obviously such a critical factor for consumers. We're in an evolving landscape. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw the launch of, of Motif Ingredients, a, a $90 million Series A for an alternative protein ingredients company that's going to be mm-hmm. essentially focusing on, uh, you know, bioengineering and, and different things that, um, you know, to the maybe the, the mainstream consumer who, who might not know about this could sound scary or might bring up, uh, you know, different types of um, unfamiliarity um, given that. So how does that play into transparency? If, if let's say you were a brand or, or even let's say in, in cellular agriculture is a great example. Right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does that, how would that maybe change things or, or do you, do you maintain that transparency? I don't know that it would change things in terms of wanting to be transparent, but I think there's a component of educating the consumer. So there's not that fear of, of not understanding something, because I think that's where fear really originates from is not understanding really what it is that, um, that something is all about. I mean, with cell ag, with, um, even in some cases like GMO or, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things out there that, um, has certain connotations that, that maybe people just don't understand the intricacies of. Um, Not that like we want to get like super granular with consumers, but I think that it's important to, to dispel any fears that they may have because of a misunderstanding. I mean, isn't the, the fact that GMO got a bad rap is because when it was started and how it was explained just, went in the wrong direction in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it, it's in it's sort of a dire need of, of rebranding because exactly you, know, <laughs> you had kind of 1.0 with Monsanto, which has a very specific, uh, you know, set of things within that, that bucket. And then your, you know, your new kind of brand champions, uh, you know, impossible could be considered in this category and they're transparent to a degree, but maybe they're not, loudly mm-hmm. saying this at the burger counter. Uh, and then you have something like Soylent, which is just a very interesting and unique brand that has a different resonation yep. point with, I think, a very different type of consumer and not a lot in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, right. you see those tech slash food companies. And this is something that, you know, with the launch of Beyond... 2.0, impossible 2.0, that language. And we had brought this up with someone else mm-hmm. that that language is, is tech language, right? So, and it's really talking to a certain set of people that understand quickly, that means an improvement, right? But it's a platform, it's not software, but it is a platform for creating things. So I understood what that meant and it excited me. But at the same time, 
I don't think that language touches upon mass market appeal because I think that it's missing mm -hmm. like the education points. Mm -hmm. And an emotional. I mean, possibly. I mean, what, what do you what do you guys think? Anthony, what's your opinion? I'd, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think it's, it's such a new territory, as you guys mentioned, where it's kind of an effort to rebrand. Um, you know, some of some of these more technologically driven uh, you know, food tech plays, um, you know, it, it went so far as, you know, Impossible mm -hmm. went so far as to actually release their 2.0 burger at CES, which is you know, traditionally just a technology conference. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, exactly. really, really interesting positioning. And, and it's kind of like they're, <laughs> they're, 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 there's a little bit of, you know, one, one foot on each side of the line here, um, you know, where they want to be viewed as delicious food, but they also be viewed as being on the forefront of, of some really cool innovative technology. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't know that, that we have, and I don't know that I personally have a very strong opinion in one direction or another. I think it's more about um, understanding the conversations that are happening now with consumers, uh, you know, taking that information, learning as much as we can from these, these flagship companies that are testing these new concepts, uh, and then just kind of learning from that and understanding how to apply that with future applications. Um, that's that's kind of my take on it. Well, I know you guys have, you know, some really good insights for go-to-market strategy. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you need to know and find out before you could, you know, ever recommend any any kind of go-to-market strategy. And it's the same with us, with branding. It's like you really have to understand the brand and, and before you can make any recommendations, right? So, you know, we're in a similar position in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I think that the key here is learn. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say that there, there, there are also areas that, um, you know, a couple kind of guiding lights that do come out to the top. Uh, and I would say for, you know, for anybody with a brand that's looking to gain traction and really figure out their, their go-to-market strategy and their positioning, take a stance. Don't be afraid. There are so many companies that you have to compete with, but the ones that seem to really put their flag in the ground, um, you know, even if some people don't love that, you know, these, these are the ones that you remember at the end of the day, right? And brand recall is it's such an important driver to a consumer purchase decision. So, you know, all the strategies and the, the you know, the go-to-market tactics could be different. Um, but if you don't stand for something, I mean, that, that's, that's the, you know, that's the essence of your brand. That's the mm -hmm. why, uh, you know, brought out into manifestation. So that's something that, you know, I would say is a, it's just a guiding light across any category you look at. Right. I like that. Put your flag in the ground. Yeah. If there's one thing that um, I did notice at the show, um, it's these little flags <laughs> that are being put into the, the taste. Literally flags. Little <laughs> flags. And it's like the mat. I thought of it like this. Well, I saw it first with, I think I saw it first with Impossible. Um, but maybe it was beyond, I don't know, but now it's proliferating everywhere. So it's, you know, accounting for that Instagram mm -hmm. moment. Let's make sure that we have the flag on top of our moon rocks <laughs> so that everybody knows what's being taken. Uh, so photogenically a picture of and shared across, you know, Instagram. Right. You're so right. Nothing better than that surprise and delight factor saying you're never going to believe it. This fish is actually made of plants or this you know, this is, yeah. is actually, you know, it's, it's such a, such an interesting time where, where people just, a lot of people haven't been exposed to this stuff yet. And, you know, it's, it's giving opportunities for consumers to 
ultimately, you know, voice uh, the, the advocacy for that brand. It, it has. And don't you think that the internet as a tool for that really allows with, with the, with the proper thought process really allows yeah. for that um, education to happen pretty early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're the lucky suckers that get to taste it as long as we get to the booth on time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That impossible booth was, was extremely packed. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. As we related to you, we, uh, in a frenzy of trying to get there, we found ourselves uh, too late. Missed, We're closing down. Too late. Like, it was, it was um, frustrating. And they also were insulating themselves. <laughs> nope, sorry. Nope, 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 sorry. Because everybody, of course, had the same idea that we did at the same time. Yeah. Let's go try Impossible. If you want the same effect, just, just show up to Walmart on Black Friday. I mean, you might not get <laughs> Exactly. I think they almost were going to uh, call a security guard over when they saw my face. (laughs) This is the first time for everything. Yeah. Yeah. This has really been um, a lot of fun. I think that, uh, you know, there's there's a a great opportunity for us to kind of cross platform, educate ourselves and and just like enjoy what's going on right now in this uh, in this space together. And possibly and hopefully really like make an impact together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, we feel incredibly grateful that you're in the space as well. And you guys do such terrific work. I mean, we are, we're always impressed by what we see out of Brand First. So, um, you know, super grateful to be on the podcast with you guys and to do a little mind meld. Um, and, you know, absolutely can't wait for the next one. Thanks so much, Morgan and Anthony, for joining us on the podcast. It was great having you guys. That's right. And from what we just witnessed, I do believe we're going to be sharing a mind meld with everyone every now and again. We hope to provide some insights and stay interesting and maybe even stay cool. I guess that'll be up to your comments, which are welcome anytime. And take care. And if you'd like to reach out to Sprout Adventures, they can be found at SproutedVentures.com. And Alex and I can be reached at brandfirst.com. NJ, that's N as in Nancy. J as in jalapeno.com. See you next time.